Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. This is going to be a great conversation today. We have Courtney Silver here from Ketchy, a third-generation precision machine shop in Concord, North Carolina. What has me excited is that Courtney has self-described that she hit the reset button for her shop in 2020. She pulled the trigger on a lot of changes, including one that was the hardest of her manufacturing career. She's going to talk not only about what she's done and why, but what I think is so cool is that she's still in the middle of it. This is not one of these conversations where this is what happened and this is the end result and the success we had. She's still in the messy middle. And I think that's so relevant because the messy middle is where so many of us are. I really appreciate Courtney having the courage to open up today. And without further delay, let's get going. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Courtney. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Jay. Well, we are super excited to have you here. And before the show, you had shared that you recently went to a shop that was going out of business. And while you were there, you got to talk to the shop owner. What did you ask him and what did you learn from the conversation? Yeah, we actually had heard about the shop because we got a new customer and they told us to contact this other shop because they had a metric brooch that we needed for the work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my shop supervisor and I drove over there and it was very, I, I, I had a mix of emotions. I mean, it was, it's sad, you know, to see a shop go out of business. And one of the owners was there basically selling anything that was still on the floor. He had some machines, he had some quality equipment, but he was really open with me and he didn't seem too annoyed with all my questions, but I did ask him you know, just what happened? Why did he go out of business? What were his regrets? And he was a very, very nice guy, very patient (laughs) with all my questions. And I really wanted to understand. So hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, wouldn't make those mistakes or would just learn from it. He said that if where they, he felt they really went wrong was on the sales side. He said that they really just it was word of mouth. And then he also mentioned that they were so busy and they did have such great consistent work and consistent relationships that when they would try to go out and get new work, that they would get in trouble with their lead times and meeting due dates. So it's almost like a catch 22, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was his main regret, which I honestly didn't expect 
I didn't expect to hear that answer. I, th I thought he, I don't know. I just thought he would have said something about capabilities or I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And how long were they in business? It was quite a while. I, I think it was at least 30, 40 years. Hmm. Yeah. And how old was the owner who you spoke with? Probably 50s. 50s. Yeah. And he keyed in on the word of mouth is the way that they got business. Mm -hmm. Did he talk about marketing at all? Or it sounds like they didn't he have didn't, a direct sales. Yeah, he, I was assuming he didn't have a salesperson mm -hmm. or sales. Maybe he used sales reps. He didn't say specifically, but I didn't have any indications they were doing any sort of marketing. He said their strategy was word of mouth. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. how did that fail them with, is it because of COVID that some of their customers just yeah. didn't have enough business to give them anymore? Yes, exactly. So when you have, you know, a handful of customers and when that business does drop, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. sure he was at a, wow, we're not at break even. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he did say that he was able to obtain the PPP money. And that sustained them for a while and they chopped hours and, you know, tried to get creative with work schedules to keep cash flow going. Mm -hmm. But ultimately it, it was a cash flow situation. And since they didn't have a marketing or sales strategy, it, you couldn't create one last year quickly enough right. to get off the ground to recover probably in enough time. What did the equipment look like in the shop? Was it older equipment, newer, some of each? Well, when I, when we went there, he had already been selling equipment. So he did have a piece of equipment that was already gone. That was new. He only had, he had a horizontal brooch. He had some bridge ports. Uh, he had a vertical mill that was probably 10, 15 years old. And he had some quality equipment as well. The CMM. It reminds me of the saying, how did somebody go out of business very gradually? And then all of a sudden, it's not that COVID was the final straw, perhaps, but the mm -hmm. shop, if it couldn't withstand that shock, right, just wasn't running correctly. And I like that he was able to share with you that he thought that the inability to go out and get more sales and that they had tried because I yeah. hear that from a lot of shops is yeah when we have to make a choice, I guess, between our existing customers and new customers. And it's not just making in the parts and the leads times, it's the quoting too, because typically if you're running at whatever the pace is to add new quotes for prospects, to add new work for new customers, you just don't have the capacity. So you really have to plan for that and allocate a certain amount of time. Yeah. Your operations absolutely have to be in step with, you know, change sales and marketing. And if you're going after new work, how are you adjusting the floor? Mm -hmm. Otherwise it just doesn't work. Yeah. I agree. I'll throw out one thing that I believe that this is the way to schedule work that would help in this type of thing. And most shops typically just when they get an order, they add that on at the end to all the work that's already in there. And therefore their lead time can vary somewhat depending on how many orders they got that week or the last couple weeks. It can start to stretch out. What I think is a more flexible approach is to have a say quoted lead time of six weeks, try to get everything done in four weeks. And that way, when rush orders come in, when new customers come in, you have some spaces to put the work. And worst case scenario is that you make the parts early. Typically, the customer will take them early and they're really happy right. about that. Or if they won't, they sit on the shelf for a week or two. But having those holes in your schedule, instead of having to put everything at the end, and then that new customer you want to impress them and they, you got to slip it in somewhere. Well, there is no slack. Yep, so totally that's agree. just a strategy that, that mm -hmm. I have put in place that 
really helped us manage capacity and enable new customers, both on the quoting and the making of parts side to come in. So after the conversation with him, how did this change your thinking about running your own shop? Oh, well, (laughs) I think it lit a fire, right? I mean, to go to a shop that's gone out of business, Mm -hmm. you know, all those initiatives and the work that you're doing and the conversations you're having with and we call like we're calling this year unlocking productivity on the floor, you know, mm. and mm. it certainly gives you a sense of urgency. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. we got to prioritize these projects, and and how do you prioritize? You know, thinking through that, I think that's how it probably just gave me a sense of urgency more than anything. You mentioned you had you pressed the reset button in 2020 on Catchy and you've looked at everything within the company, you've made some radical changes. Was this before or after you had that conversation with the owner? This was before. It was in the fall of last year. When you started making the changes? Yeah. 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 And that, so that was before the conversation. So let's talk about this. So COVID hits, obviously it's a disruption to everyone in, in, in different ways. Some people will just sort of hunker down, try to ride it out. It sounds like this was a crisis that was too good to waste. And you, <laughs> isn't it? I like that. Yeah, I, I didn't make that up. That's, uh, I think the politicians uh, use that. But in any case, tell us about your thinking. I assume sales probably went down and you had yeah. to think about the hours in the shop just so just tell us sort of the background what happened then and then what flipped the switch where you said I'm not going to be a victim I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do things differently when I think through all this I think that last year gave me time it just was like I could take a breath we did lose quite a bit of business So things did slow down. And unfortunately, we did have to adjust work schedules for a period of time. The bookings did come back in the fall, though, but, you know, not like they were in 2019. But, you know, everything was so crazy last year and really continuing to be sort of wild that it just made me stop and think, what am I doing? I don't want to be negative because we we've been had double digit revenue growth since 2010 every year invested over five million dollars in equipment over the last i five to ten years certainly had great customer relationships but it it really felt like we were not in a position to grow we were doing a good job but we were not embracing machining technology that I thought we should. We didn't have the positions I thought we should. Did you sit in your office and think about this? Is this the type of thing? I remember when I sort of did a reset button, I actually rented a hotel suite at the Holiday Inn and I got some of those large stickums, the two foot by three foot, put them all on the walls and just started writing stuff down. I sat on the couch and it, it was away from the office, away from everyone. It was just me. And uh, this is when we got involved with the Rockefeller Habits, which is a way of operating your company. It's now mm-hmm. called Scaling Up. Did you do this at your house? Was it a quiet time or is it just over a period of weeks or months that you you got to this point? No, I think it's over a period of time. It's, it's probably still going on. I do a lot of thinking in the car. I have a 40-minute commute from the house ah. to work. So a lot of time to think. And I really am proud of Catchy and I'm proud of its legacy. I want to leave it better than I found it. And I love machining and I love manufacturing in our country. And I want to see us create manufacturing jobs in our community. I want to see us grow substantially. I want to see operators come in and turn into machinists. You know, I want to see us saving customers money because of the automation and technology that we invested in. 
and I want to see them buy parts, you know, here in America that are at a better price than offshore. You know, I want to figure that Absolutely. out. I think that stuff is super exciting. We we weren't on that path. So you have you have so you have this vision, which I love. But what the vision is like, you know, happening now. So well, but first you have to have the vision to see where yeah. you want to go. So yeah. <laughs> I want to dive into you're thinking about these things driving in your car. Did you just come up with one idea and implement that? Or did you create a strategic plan? No, I wish I was that smart, but and that's probably what I should do. But, you know, small business, if you're going to do this resetting, rebuilding, you also have to ship parts and do all the things you do. You have to do this while you're running the business. Mm -hmm. And so my husband says I have a trigger finger, but there's certain things that happen at the right times, you know, like, oh, I never thought of it this way. We should totally, you know, manage production scheduling in this manner and create this mm -hmm. position. And this is how this person will function. This is the responsibilities they have. And you create that position, you start interviewing, boom. To the next thing. The hardest part certainly was having to restructure positions and knowing that I needed new skill sets on our team. That was very hard. So are you calling this a reset now looking back or as you started it, did you say I'm going to reset the company? No, I called it a reset when it was happening. What are some of the first things you decided to do on the path to the, achieving your vision to reset. The first things were looking at the skill sets that I had on the team and where I thought we were missing skills mm -hmm. and looking at the org chart, looking at who was responsible for what mm -hmm. and why, whether it's listening to podcasts or reading modern machine shop or just general business experience knew that I needed to split responsibilities out of positions and start interviewing and unfortunately let people go. So did you have, say, on one side of your desk, the current org chart? And then did you actually write out what you thought the org chart should look like for the company? You've decided that you needed new skill sets and some people may have had some skill sets, didn't have others. Sounds like people was the first part of the reset. What yeah. did you do? I, I would say the project managers is one good example. So before I had an estimator mm -hmm. and he had responsibilities for quoting as well as creating routers, travelers for the shop floor, as well as a whole host of, you know, odds and ends of types responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I had one person doing this. And then I had two people in sales and customer service that mainly, well, we have a bearing product line. So they were providing sales uh, and customer service support for the bearing product line, as well as precision machining ordering. And specifically how, how that occurred last fall was I listened to your podcast and heard Kurt Wagner talk oh. about project managers and how his company was organized. Yes. And at the end of the podcast, he said, yeah, I'm always happy to talk shop. So if you want to call me, I'm happy to talk. And so I just reached out to him via email and said, I have some questions about your employees that do quoting and would you be open to talking to me? And he was very gracious with his time and told me what his project managers are responsible for. And I got off the phone with him and said, I'm going to contact a recruiter and I'm going to hire a project manager. And when I did that, I took our existing estimator and made him a project manager and added order entry to his job responsibilities because now I had two people quoting. So they, they managed that customer relationship. So you decided that you didn't want to keep handing off. You wanted ownership from quoting to getting the job on the floor with one person and 
that was too much for one person. Plus it's, you know, it's, people do have to go on vacations, things like that. So right. I, I, I love that. So you, in a sense, promoted them because right. project manager. Yeah. And exactly. that hire went well. Excellent. He has a whole career of machining experience. He worked for machine tool manufacturers the last 10 years. So he's actually been on all sorts of different sides of that table. So it's really been impactful to have his advice and guidance and thoughts as we create the new vision and start executing on it. Did that also open up then quoting capacity for new customers for prospects? Absolutely. I would receive feedback from customers. I would ask them, what do you rate us on a scale of one to 10? And then what's frustrating you with your interaction with us? And they Mm -hmm. would frequently say, quote, turnaround time. Mm. So I knew, I knew it was an issue. I didn't know how to solve for that. Basically until last year and really thinking through and talking to Kurt gave me the guidance to make those decisions. And it's, it's been great. And my current estimator, well, who, who was estimating before he loves it because it's not as much passing order entry into quoting. I mean, he's responsible for that process and it's more streamlined. Well, Kurt, if you're listening, thanks for being willing to take Courtney's call. It's obviously had a really positive impact on her business. Because you now have the capacity in quoting and estimating, I guess, first of all, you are, and we're going to get into this hopefully a little later, you're a data person. You, You like numbers. Were you measuring the quote turnaround time or other aspects of quoting before you change the way that this department works? Yes, we had a weekly quote meeting and we had a big calendar up on our whiteboard. And so we could see when RFQs were submitted and when we were turning them around and the promise mm-hmm. dates we were giving our customers. So were you able to measure a improvement in the time for a quote turnaround? Oh yeah, it, it went from over a week to a couple days. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. So did this then, once you had the confidence, you could turn quotes around faster. Did this give you the confidence to start pushing for new sales and new customers? How did it change the way you looked at selling or did it? No, it certainly did because knowing we could turn around a quote in two, three days, you feel more inspired to, okay, yes, I'm going to go out and I'm going to prospect and network and cold Mm -hmm. call and make sure I've got good relationships with my existing customers and how can I grow those existing relationships or, you know, even going after new business, whether it's through the government or just new industries. Mm -hmm. It definitely did. Yeah. It gives you, it gives you confidence. Change is always the enemy for people who who aren't used to change or who don't like change. Did anyone fight you within the organization on what you wanted to do here? Yeah. I felt like we tried to do a good job communicating. I would be the first one to say, hey, this is what we're going to do now. I don't have this figured out. I don't have the solution. This is the Mm -hmm. way we're going to go in a month. Let's see how this looks. Let's come back together in four weeks. But you're right. No one really likes change. It's tough. It can be confusing. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I have so many questions for you, Courtney. So you mentioned communicating. Do you have a regular structured mechanism for communicating to everyone in your shop? Do you have a time when you get everyone together to communicate? Yeah, we actually just started last September, I believe, uh, all employee meeting once a month after lunch at 1230, where we will go over a host of items, safety, if there's safety issues, safety concerns, I can talk to the overall company financial performance, my shop supervisor can bring up any operational items. I think the meeting's going to evolve over time. 
mm-hmm. you know, who, who's, you know, who is kind of responsible for what elements or what subjects to bring up. But sometimes I think the more casual, the better, if it's not so structured, maybe people are more relaxed to give feedback. I think that's great because what I learned, we would hold monthly meetings. And what I learned is if you don't communicate with everyone, then not everyone hears the same message, even from myself, depending on who I was talking to, I might flavor it a different way. So it's not the same message. And the other piece is if you don't tell people what's going on or give them an opportunity to answer their questions, then they make up their own answers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they go to dark places with that. So it's, yeah, I think if, if COVID has taught us anything, it's like over communicate with everyone. I mean, it, you know, there was, it was such a tough time and it still is as far as just all sorts of family, you know, if your family member has COVID or in the hospital or something tragic has happened, it's best to over communicate and, and be the person that's reaching out for sure. And I hope that continues even, you know, after this COVID uh, technically is over. I was really surprised because I thought we communicated really well at Rapid. We had structured ways of doing it. Plus we tried to train and coach the managers to communicate. And consistently on the surveys that we did to the team, more communication was always at the top and scratching my head. What more do you want? But yeah. What it tells you, though, is you can't over-communicate. No, yeah. it, no matter what you think, if you're telling them too much, you're not. They want information, and it's a way for them to feel that they are part of it. Yep. So it sounds like September, part of the great reset, mm-hmm. you put the project management role in place. What other big changes did you make as part of this? Unfortunately, you know, I did have to let go some long tenured employees that were very skilled and and I created some new positions. So I created a production scheduling position that didn't exist before. If I just heard you correctly, you, it were people who were with you for a long time Yeah. and they're not with you now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was your decision, not their decision. Right. right. So that must've been really tough. Yeah. It's, still tough. It's extremely tough. Especially at a small company, everyone feels like family. And, you know, I care about everybody. I care about their families. I feel extremely loyal to people. So yeah, this is very tough. The hardest thing I've I've done. How did you go through with it though? Because it would have been so easy to punt and say, well, we'll just work around this. But you made a really hard decision. Well, <laughs> I prayed a lot. And honestly, it, as the leader, mm-hmm. I have to make decisions for the overall company and for the vision. I'm responsible for helping set that vision with the team and helping execute. And so when I know very clearly that in order to even start talking about a new vision that I have to make these personnel changes. It was very clear that it had to happen as much as I didn't want it to. I think that all of us as owners who are listening without knowing the details can relate because I think back on a couple positions where the individual just no longer was up to where we were going and it wasn't that they were a bad person. It's just they weren't right for the role anymore. And it actually, as you said, you have to look out for the entire company, not just that person. And you may have been helping that person by keeping them, but you would have been holding everyone else back. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've read a little bit of that and like strengths finder stuff. Like, you know, and I truly do believe everybody is uniquely and beautifully created with this awesome set of gifts, abilities, skills. Mm -hmm. And when you run a business 
it's, it's like that art of figuring that out, you know, like, wow, this person's really skilled at this, not so much at this, or they seem really energized and interested in marketing or data analytics. But sometimes at your company, you don't have those open positions or those opportunities for that person to be in that role, you know? And so that's when you have to make those hard decisions. But thankfully we're in a thriving economy in North Carolina and and certainly in machining, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And that's the other thing my friend told me who was giving me guidance. She said, you know, you don't know what you're holding back. You know, that you could be holding that person back from something that, that, you know, a new opportunity by keeping that individual in that role. And I thought that was a good perspective as well, but change is tough. Change is tough. I'll mention a book that is not a bestseller because it really is only written for owners of businesses, founders, entrepreneurs, called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And he talks about a journey. His was a software company, but he had friends who he started the company with. And as the company grew, they were just not the right people for the roles anymore. So not only was it the loyalty of someone within your company, but the friendship as well. And Mm -hmm. he said, this is but you have to do it if you are committed to the growth of the company and, and everyone who's participating. So what got you here won't get you there is another way of saying it. Sometimes there's a reconfiguration of the team. The other part which is interesting to me is you open doors by changing the team at the top. What happened? What unexpected benefits arose that you just perhaps didn't know could occur or would occur or were pleasantly surprised by? So there's been a lot of movement of positions. You know, we also hired a new quality control. I shouldn't say quality control. I should say quality assurance manager. And he Mm -hmm. came with wonderful machining and quality background from Northrop Grumman was his most recent employer. Mm. And it's really neat to see people come into Ketchy with outside experience and to watch them share it Mm. to mentor other employees and to watch other employees just soak it up and really develop themselves and bring up their game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I thought about it that way, because that's been really clear to me. As long as you want to hear about someone else's experience and you're open to that, it's a wonderful thing to watch people develop. Anything else that has changed with the reconfiguration of the team? Oh, well, there's a lot. Yeah, we've had these, or I don't know what you want to call them, open capacity meeting, basically trying to solve for capacity issues. This Mm -hmm. goes along with your earlier comments about lining up sales and quoting with operations on the floor and putting gaps in your schedule. So this is along that vein of how do we unlock productivity on the floor? You know, what are your available hours? What do you need to be profitable? And how do you create available hours? We've had really, really great team discussions about this, where we've just said, this is the issue. This is what we're trying to, this is a capacity issue we're trying to solve. And we just start throwing stuff up on the board, talking through it and walk away with, all right, people have, their initiatives or their projects to run down. And we're Mm going to come back together in two weeks to discuss where we're at. It's, that's been really neat. And what's come out of that is then, you know, we have a meeting on the shop floor. Hey, let's talk about clocking into jobs. Let's talk about where do you feel you're wasting time? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about setups, your concerns with 
setups overall with availability of chuck jaws at the lays for certain jobs. The list goes on and on. But it's been neat to see how much engagement from the shop floor across every position in the office, you know, yeah. to be able to brainstorm together and for me to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking or here's the issue. I don't have this figured out. Let's do this together. And that sort of approach is different now? Yes. So we were not doing that before. Honestly, it feels like we were just in firefight mode. When you look at a business that's been around since 1947, you do a good job. You grow a little bit each year. You make investments in machining and technology. But I found that we kind of stayed in just fighting fire mode every day. Mm-hmm. You know, just I don't want to say the word existing because it was so much more than existing, but there was a lack of long-term thinking. Well, it sounds we, like what you're saying is you were more reactive than pro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perhaps this is a good time to talk a little bit about how you got involved in the machine shop and maybe start out this, how many team members are there at the shop now? 22. Just so the listeners have a flavor of the size of your shop. And you are third generation owner. Yeah. Can you tell us the story because you married into the machining business? So would you mind just sharing how, what happened there? Sure. So I am from Michigan. After I graduated from Michigan State, I moved to Charlotte to work for Bank of America. And shortly after met Bobby Ketchy, we started dating and got married. And I was still working at Bank of America. And he said, hey, I need help at the shop. Do you want to come and do office management and, you know, like the financial piece of it. And this was during the recession of 2008, 2009. Mm. I was like, okay. So left my career and. And by the way, you have a degree in supply chain management, right? Right. You're a a numbers person. Right. And so really in summary, I got into machining manufacturing because I wanted to work with my husband and I'm sorry, I left a piece out of the story. The fact that really, you know, Bobby, which you can read some of this on the website, but you know, Bobby was diagnosed with brain cancer and he was on that journey for about seven and a half years. And so when we, I was still at the bank and he was here at the shop running the shop and you really kind of, you know, we were spending a lot of time in our separate jobs and it certainly felt like, wow, we're dealing with a lot with treatment for brain cancer and we wanted to work together. Yeah. And from reading on the website, sadly, Bobby passed away in 2014 and you were running the shop your own. And yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, just to be honest, I did not have a passion for machining or manufacturing. I had never been in a machine shop before, so I didn't have any expectations that I was going to take over the company or run the company. I didn't have any expectations. And, and Bobby was so, you know, and he never... At the end, when he knew he was dying, he, I remember one day said to me, you know, you don't, don't, don't feel like you have to do this. And I've never felt that way. You know, I certainly felt I, and I was, you know, my son was two and a half when he died and I was pregnant. So I certainly felt like it was a lot on my plate and I had an amazing team and very loyal people here, but my passion certainly has grown. It wasn't there in the beginning. I felt like I, I, there was conviction about, I wanted to do this. 
But the more that I was exposed to all aspects of machining and running this awesome manufacturing company and just the whole industry, it's like the more I fell in love with it and the more I liked it. So it's, that's been a fun part of the journey. Well, thanks for sharing that. And obviously you have taken it and made it your own at this point and a very bright future from how you've been describing it. You have a solid team in place. You have a vision. And I think the economy is turning around to the point where you can try to bring in some new customers who support the vision and where you can help them. Yep. Yeah. So I have a few sort of rapid fire questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah. You are a woman in manufacturing, which is not common, a woman leading a company. What are some of the challenges, if any, that you face or have faced? I think a lot of the challenges are the same as if I was a man, but the one when I think about being a woman specifically in this industry, when I think about that, I think about those examples or instances where maybe I was at like a trade show event or an event with a machine tool manufacturer where there were 300 men and I Mm -hmm. was the only woman or there may one of three women. That's challenging. I don't know if you've ever heard of imposter syndrome what that oh, is. Oh yeah. 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 Do you, could you share that with the audience in case they don't know? You feel like you don't belong because you don't see an, other women there and you start thinking, well, yeah, I'm not as smart. I don't fit in. I shouldn't be here. When in all actuality, you, I definitely should be there. I definitely know this business and understand it and can learn with the best of them. I found though, what helps with that and having, I've done it wrong so many times that what helps is certainly thinking about it before I go into those situations. Cause most of Mm -hmm. the time you're going to know, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to an event that's machining specific or a trade show or something that you're, there's not going to be many women there just thinking Mm -hmm. through that maybe thinking of scenarios that could occur. And I definitely pray before I go. And I think I'm more prepared when I do those things. So I'm not caught off guard. I want to ask a little more about your preparedness. So I'm sure that's not the only way that you prepare and think through scenarios. Can you share with us how you use that sort of preparedness and thinking about the different ways things might go in other aspects of running your business? Because that's a very specific example, but a very concrete one that rather than just walking into a situation, you think about the, the, the different things that could happen so you are prepared. And I would love to yeah. hear how you apply that to other aspects of your business, maybe. My, my whole life. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm the ultimate over-preparer. I actually just had a conversation the other day about remember this and remember that and use the sandwich method. If you say something positive, you know, give constructive feedback in the middle and you might get this question. I use it a lot with customers. I think I'm a classic over-preparer for Oh, well, tell, tell us. Tell us exactly how you might think about a customer (laughs) conversation or meeting. I think I find it easy to understand, like if I'm meeting with a buyer, to understand what the pressures they're under. So the first thing I do is put myself in their shoes. Mm -hmm. So I picture them to be pretty frazzled, overworked, overloaded with things to do Mm -hmm. uh, with their responsibilities. They probably have a lot of pressures from their managers for cost savings goals. Mm-hmm. They, so they're out of time, have pressures from management for cost savings goals. They are frustrated with late deliveries, you know, worried about their supplier risk. And so then I prepare with, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to bring up. I'm going to make it super easy. Like mm-hmm. if it's an existing customer, 
I'm going to pull all of the sales data for the last year or last quarter, depending upon when I'm meeting with them. And I will, you know, just give them a summary of showing how you're a reliable supplier. Right, exactly. Show, yeah. show them some data and then also talk about maybe some investments we've made on the floor to provide them with higher quality parts, or maybe it opens our capacity to provide quicker turnaround. One of my most favorite parts of my job is saving customers money. I just think it's fun and figuring that out. So I think it's, it just inspires me because it's like, wow, I just saved this customer, you know, 15 bucks a part because we were able to find a better source on material or we invested in a lathe with live tooling and completely eliminated a setup. And to know that you can give those savings to a customer, still be profitable. Hopefully that means your customer gets more market share, catchy gets more business. Like it, it, I like the idea that it impacts the entire manufacturing economy in our country. I love that. What I was going to point out is that when you were going into the meeting, rather than telling this buyer what you want to tell them, what you think is important, you right. step back, you think about what's important to them, and then you may still tell them a lot of the same information, but you're putting it into the context yeah. that is important to them. Yeah. And I, a lot of times, you know, over-prepare and you have all this stuff with you and you don't even give it to them. Because they don't want to talk about it, you know, but at least you're ready and you're going to make sure. And it gives you the confidence Mm -hmm. that they're not going to surprise you. Even that's an advantage of being overprepared. Yeah. On your website, your mission statement states, as an organization following Jesus Christ, we seek to be the most respected custom manufacturer for having the highest quality people, products, and service. And you mentioned while we were talking, you prayed a lot. So can you just let us know how your faith is interwoven into the fabric of Ketchy? Sure. So fundamentally, so I believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace through Jesus, and this is not by anything I did. So when you look at work through that, or really anything through that paradigm, when you think about work, and what I do at Ketchy, I view work as an opportunity from God to give him glory and to love others around me, not for my own gain or glory. Now, <laughs> I, I struggle with that daily, hourly, to be honest. But that is part of my personal mission statement. And I think that, like anyone, I, I struggle with putting my identity in work you know, with pride, with greed, but I'm aware. And I think when you put your identity solely in work, and this is, you know, this is obviously just my perspective, but Uh, that, you know, it can create an idol and you're actually not able to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love others when you have these idols in your life. But it's a daily surrender, daily struggle. So now how that plays out at work. I could sit here and tell you all of these, like you could call them fruit. So what's the fruit of that? Oh, we take care of each other. We pray with each other. We encourage one another with scriptures. We take care of the community through financial contributions, as well as volunteer efforts. There's all these things, but I think more importantly, it's that overarching, what's the view of work? that makes the biggest difference. I think that comes into play in a lot of everyday decisions for me and for a lot of people here. Well, thank you for sharing that. And obviously it is important to you and your company because you wouldn't have put it on your website otherwise. Yeah. And perhaps that is reflected a little bit in your domain name, which I wanted to ask you about because it would be probably more common for your domain to be catchy machine or catchy precision. Your domain <laughs> is catchy means quality.com. 
Where did that come from? I I don't know. I don't. I I would have to ask one of my uh, team members. So that's been around for a while. Well, at least five years. I, I can't remember. I can't recall. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I just thought it was. It, it makes a statement because yeah. the customers are going to be putting in your domain or searching for you, and mm-hmm. right there in your domain. Yeah. So quality is a focus at Catchy. Absolutely. We have covered a lot of ground. I could probably ask you another hour's worth of questions. So Courtney, right now you are still in the messy middle and you may not have the confidence in giving me the answers to some of the questions I'm asking because you haven't gotten to the end result and you're not sure the path you are on is the right one. Can you just talk about being in the messy middle? You're exactly right. I wanted to do this podcast in a year when I could come to you and say, oh, Jay, look at all these great things we implemented and this is how maybe it would help another shop. It requires a lot of vulnerability to say, you don't have this figured out. We're creating the vision and we're building this plane while we're flying it. What does it feel like? You mentioned imposter syndrome and you may feel like you are, and I'm putting words in your mouth, so certainly correct me, but you may feel like you're an imposter in bringing about this vision of where you want Ketchy to be, that that you can do it. And I think you can, I think you will, but what does it feel like now? What would you, what would you say to another shop owner who, if you had to sit down and they were in the same situation, what things would you commiserate about? And what hope would you give one another? Oh, that is a good question. I would say, well, I can tell you, I had a very funny conversation. I just covered a lot of topics with my shop supervisor and he looked at me and said, you need to pray for patience. So I would say that you need to be patient with yourself. And it's almost like when you decide that you're going to reset your company, you're going to rebuild it, restructure it. You're going to set this vision and you're going to grow this thing. And it's going to be super hard and super fun. It's like when the blinders come off, you just want to fix everything at one time. You're like, Oh, you know, Oh my gosh, well, we got to do this. And I can't believe we didn't do this five years ago. And we absolutely need to go by Mastercam and this is how we're going to do it. And we need this training and you, it'll drive your entire team crazy if you do that. And I have a tendency to do that. So prioritizing super important and really just being vulnerable with your team and brainstorming. Actually, to go back to your earlier point about change, people I've found are more receptive when they are involved in the process of change, Mm, starting at step one. So making sure that, you know, you come up with this idea as part of the new vision and you say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And then you just have a meeting and then just tell everyone what they're going to do usually doesn't go over well. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. So that would be some advice too, is to allow a bunch of time for brainstorming and, and involvement on the shop floor and in all sorts of different positions and get guidance. Absolutely. They're the ones who are going to have to implement it, are going to have to live with mm-hmm. whatever the change is. And what I personally found out is I might be good at the higher level thinking about the vision, but they really were much better at the tactical implementation of the vision. And if I told them what to do, they would have done it, but we wouldn't have been anywhere near as successful or done anywhere near as good a job because the people who are working with you are really smart. You just got to give them the opportunity. And and the other opportunity. and, And I'll throw out too is, they will make mistakes. They will fail. And the worst thing that you can do is crush them at that moment. Yep. I totally agree. Because then they'll never poke their head out and Mm -hmm. 
risk again. You you have to let them know it's okay to fail and to take chances. Yep. yep. Hmm. Well, maybe we'll do another podcast in a year when you can tell us all the successes that you've had, Courtney. Looking forward to it. I, well, I'm, I'm going to put a caveat on that is that if you are growing, I think you're always in the messy middle. Yeah. And I was really proud of Rapid where we came from where we were when we sold to Proto Labs. And at the same time, I felt there was still so much opportunity, so many more things that we could have made more efficient. And that's what kept me going every day and made it exciting to go to work. And so in a year, you will definitely have accomplished some big things, but there will still be pieces of the messy middle because it's never ending. And I guess circling back to the initial question I asked you about the shop owner who you visited, perhaps if you're not in the messy middle, perhaps if you are not growing, Mm -hmm. then that's your future. Yep. Too comfortable, maybe. Yep. I agree. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I've had so much fun talking with you and I'm inspired by the actions you've taken. You will get there. And I love the ethics and how you're doing. So I will quote someone who I like, Jersey Gregorick. He says, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Ah, very good. Yes. So thank you for sharing your story, letting us take a peek at some of the ways you think about running your company. Really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable. And guess we'll throw out, is there anything else you want to mention? No, thank you, Jay. I, um, and thank you for this podcast. I, I find it very helpful. We don't have local chapters of trade associations in our area right now. Hopefully soon we will. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to your podcast and others and read Modern Machine Shop or any other machining magazine, that's a lot of the where I'm getting my guidance and learning. So you're a big part of that. So thank well, you. Thank you for those kind words. And I want shops to be the best they can be. So what other podcasts inspire you and would another shop owner want to consider listening to oh making chips and i gotta look at my phone i'm, I'm bad on the fly here the pmpa has a precision it's called like precision machining maybe speaking of precision yes we had an interview with miles not too long ago yeah and then your machine tool builders have podcasts so uh, akuma mazak a lot of the machine tool Mm-hmm. manufacturers have their own podcast how i built this is a great one guy Ra- guy Raj. Yes. he uh, is he is so good yeah he's it's it, you talk about inspiring you listen to that and you're like i can do this you know you listen so to that, like, that's the one you want to listen to on your ride in, in the oh morning, right? yeah, <laughs> i should i should have said that when you're feeling like you, you just can't do it and you're this is never going to work. Listen to how I built this because these people, you know, like the lady, I'm going to get some of these facts wrong, but like the lady that built uh, Stacy's pita chips, mm-hmm. she, she started out like in a food cart in New York mm-hmm. making pita chips. You know, it's amazing. The odds are, odds are stacked <laughs> against you. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You got to have the vision, the dream. If you, people want to reach out to you as you did to Kurt. We, we know your domain, but what is your email address? Is that the best way for people to connect with uh, you? Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at catchyinc.com. So it's K-E-T-C-H-I-E-I-N-C.com. And are you on LinkedIn? Yes. Although I don't check it like I should, but it's hard to keep up with all that. It is. You're running a company. (laughs) Well, thanks so much again, Courtney. And 
for the audience, for the listener, I'll ask, maybe not at work, maybe in your personal life, did you press the reset button in 2020? What hard choices did you make? Or maybe reflect back and be honest with yourself. Are there hard choices you didn't make or deferred? Can you still make them? Do you want an easy life? Hopefully Courtney's experience share in how pressing reset herself will inspire you. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.